Well, good morning once again, and welcome. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here at Redeeming Grace. It is good to worship with you through song and now to worship with you as we open up God's word. So please listen to the reading of the word this morning. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And we praise you this morning. God, we thank you that even though you are high and lifted up, that you have made yourself known to us and that you dwell with the lowly. God, we need you. We declare that this morning. We we need your help. We need your help in this moment. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you help us to, as we open up your word, to see and savor Christ today. And as we do that, we'd be able to go back out into the world around us and continue to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. So Holy Spirit, help us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you ever had those moments in life where you're looking for something, maybe it's your car keys or your wallet or your phone, your glasses, and you're looking all over the place. You know this scene, you're frantically in a hurry, you're trying to get out of the house and you just can't find that one item that you need. And in a panic, maybe you ask your spouse or your parent or a sibling or a roommate for help. Like, I can't find this thing that I'm looking for. And without a doubt, Within 30 seconds or less, they find it for you, and all along it's been sitting right in front of your face. If you have eyeglasses, they may be on your head. (laughs) Sometimes we can just completely miss what's right in front of us. Well, today we're back in our series in the Gospel of Mark called Follow Me, and as we come to our text today, we'll see Jesus has two different encounters with two different groups of people, two different groups who engage Jesus in two different ways. One group is made up of mockers. The other group is made up of seekers. What do I mean by that? A mocker is someone who's antagonistic and overtly resistant toward God. And Jesus in particular, both in who he is and in what he does. A seeker is someone who's open, at least marginally, to the things of God and to who Jesus is and what Jesus does. But in these stories, the mockers and the seekers are both missing what's right in front of them. They're both missing who is right in front of them. They're both missing Jesus. Now, this is a bit of a tricky text 
At face value, maybe if you spent some time looking at it this week in community group or on your own, you might have read it and think, I'm not really sure how this applies to anything in my own life. But this is God's word. And because it's God's word, I believe that there's something for us to learn for our own lives. And part of that is seeing how Jesus responds to these two groups. Because the reality is, for all of us in this room, when it comes to Jesus, we fall into one of these two categories. We're either a mocker or we're a seeker. Even if you're already a Christian, you're still seeking Jesus as you strive to walk by faith and to follow him in this world. But no matter where any of us are on our spiritual journey, the reality is we can all still sometimes miss Jesus. So my hope is, is that by looking at this text with the help of the Spirit, we won't miss Jesus. It also will help us as we engage others around us along the way who may be missing him too. So let's dive into Mark 8. And may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Two weeks ago, as we were in the Gospel of Mark, we saw the expansive and unexpected mercy of Jesus as he ventured into Gentile regions. We said mercy is about relieving distress, and that's exactly what Jesus did in this text that we looked at. He gave mercy to a desperate mom. He gave mercy to a destitute man, and he gave mercy to the masses. At the end of that section, Mark writes in verse 10, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Now this district, this place is an unknown place. There isn't really a record of it, but most scholars believe it to be in the area where the town of Magdala is, located on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a familiar place for Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus is familiar to the people in that place. And one of the things we've seen so far throughout the Gospel of Mark as Jesus has been teaching and interacting with people is that people react to Jesus and his teachings in a whole lot of different ways. And it's here that we see that some will mock Jesus. Look at the beginning of verse 11. It says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. Mark tells us the Pharisees came to Jesus and we've seen this group come up before in the Gospel of Mark. These are the religious leaders of the day. They are seeking God by means of trying to keep the law. They think that they can actually keep the law. They're trying to do that. And they're teaching others to do the same. Now we have to understand that this group that comes to Jesus in this moment isn't necessarily the same group of, let's say, 10 Pharisees that keep coming and interacting with Jesus. The Pharisees in this moment are part of a larger group of Pharisees, of religious leaders. And Jesus is a hot topic amongst this group of religious leaders. And when it says they came, it isn't that they're coming with a healthy curiosity. It has more of the sense of they came out in force. They came out against. And what is it they came to do? And Mark says they began to argue with him. Now, I was a communications major in college. I studied communication theory. So talking about how people interact, how we communicate in all kinds of different ways, whether organizationally or interpersonally. And one of the classes that I took in college was called Argumentation and Debate. Now, we didn't sit in the class and just yell at each other, right? It wasn't like the way to do this is just talk louder than the other person and you win. No, the purpose of the class was to help us learn how to reason with somebody else that disagrees with us about a particular topic and how to actually engage them in conversation in a good way. Is that what's going on here? Are the Pharisees just looking for a friendly debate with Jesus? No, the sense here is that they're arguing in an antagonistic way. They aren't interested in listening. They aren't interested in learning. This is more attacking Jesus. And we see that come out in what they're asking of him. 
Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, seeking a sign isn't simply about seeing another miracle from Jesus. Jesus has already done lots of different miracles that they would have known about. They want confirmation from heaven that Jesus is who he says he is. And they say that because they're testing him. In other words, they believe, they don't believe that, that Jesus can actually come through on that. That he actually would be confirmed. They don't think he is who he says he is. The son of God sent from heaven to rescue and redeem. They're seeking a sign The problem is they aren't seeking Jesus. They're mockers. As they come out to see Jesus, these Pharisees are not actually intrigued by him. They see Jesus as a threat. They aren't really seeking to understand. They're hostile towards him. See, the Pharisees desire to enter the kingdom of God, but they go about it in the wrong way, trying to do it on their own terms. Blinded by ambition and their desire to honor God, they miss the true means of being with God, a a means that exists outside of themselves, not within their ability to keep the law. In other words, they miss Jesus. So how does Jesus respond? Verses 12 and 13. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. First, we see Jesus sighs deeply. This is not an exasperation with a dramatic eye roll. It's not what's going on here. No, this is sorrow and dismay. He longs for people to know him. He longs for people to enter into his father's rest, but these Pharisees aren't interested in hearing that from Jesus. He's sorrowful and dismayed, but he's not unsettled. He knows who he is, and he knows what he's come to do. But notice he doesn't argue with them. He doesn't try to convince them. He knows that they are closed off. So instead he asks a question, why does this generation seek a sign? Why do the people in this that are wrapped up in this seek some declaration of my authority? No, he says no sign will be given. In doing this, he indicts them for missing what's right in front of them, missing who is right in front of them. And then verse 13 says he left them. He doesn't keep engaging the mockers. He walks away. Jesus leaves them, not just physically, but he isn't going to engage them at this level again in the Gospel of Mark until he gets to Jerusalem. He walks away, but the mocking of Jesus doesn't stop there. He'll experience a heightened level of mocking all the more at the cross. 1 Peter 2 tells us, though he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but instead continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. You know, you and I can do the same thing when we encounter those that mock Christ. We'll come back to that more in a few minutes. Because what we see is when Jesus walks away from mockers, he gets in the boat with seekers, which leads to our next point. While some mock Jesus, some will seek Jesus. Look at verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They, meaning the disciples, They had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. I love the humanness of this. Like they get in a boat to go somewhere, they're heading across the sea and they forgot snacks. Right, it's not a long journey, but they have no food with them. Have you ever done that? Right, you're like, all right, I'm ready to go. I packed my lunch for the day. I can't keep eating out during lunchtime, so I'm bringing my lunch and you left it again in the refrigerator. 
or if you've got little kids, you left the goldfish at home. Like you, you, you forget those kinds of things. That's what's going on here. It's that simple. Jesus hears them and he says something, though, curious to the response, in response to this perceived dilemma. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, and he, Jesus, cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Leaven is what makes bread rise, and it only takes a little bit of it to permeate all of the dough. The disciples are talking about actual bread, but Jesus takes that conversation about actual bread and uses it as an example in light of this recent interaction he's just had with these Pharisees, just had with these mockers, and he does so to warn them. He says, watch out, beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, beware of the leaven of Herod. What's Jesus talking about? He's using leaven as a metaphor for the subtle but pervasive influence and nature of the message of these two groups. But we have to realize, we saw this in Mark chapter 3, the Pharisees and Herod and his followers, the Herodians, are are not like-minded. The Pharisees were devoutly religious. The Herodians were about power and politics, essentially irreligious. So the leaven of the Pharisees is about misguided teaching related to the kingdom of God and their hypocrisy along the way. The leaven of Herod is about misguided political alignment and their focus on maintaining a position of prominence and power and importance. See, what they have in common is not their set of beliefs, but their self-reliance. What they have in common is not their means of achieving success in this life, but their opposition to Jesus. And neither of them offer the true way, the only way to enter the kingdom of God because neither of them offer Jesus. And so Jesus is telling his disciples who were with him, his disciples who were seeking to know him and to follow him, he's saying to them, be on guard, watch out for the subtleness of these false ways that are opposed to the king and opposed to his kingdom. But the disciples don't seem to catch what Jesus is saying, or at least they don't appear to. They quickly go back to talking about their lack of bread. Snacks are important. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread Jesus has spent so much time with him. They've, they've, they've heard him teach. They've seen him do amazing things. Unlike the Pharisees, the disciples are intrigued by Jesus. The disciples are seekers, but they still don't fully get who Jesus is. The reality is they're in danger of the same blindness of the Pharisees. They're in danger of missing Jesus. In this moment, their focus, their concern is in the wrong place. It's like they're struggling in open water. They they can't tread water. They're thrashing around, not sure what to do. And all along the way, there's a life preserver sitting right next to them. And they just don't see it. They're distracted by their circumstances. And because of that, they miss who is right in front of them. Can't we be the same way sometimes? We encounter difficulty or challenge in our lives. So how does Jesus respond? Verses 17 through 21. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus doesn't sigh in dismay with 
these seekers. He, he doesn't hop out of the boat and tell them, I'm just going to walk the rest of the way. He, he rattles off these eight questions. He gives these eight ways of trying to help them see what's going on, that they're missing him. Twice, Jesus has multiplied fish and loaves to feed the masses in two different places. And the disciples had a front row seat to all of that. So he's asking them, do, do you remember? Do you remember how many baskets you saw, you touched? You saw what I did to feed thousands upon thousands of people. They were supposed to understand the significance of that, that only God himself could do something like that. That massive, that miraculous. And now that very same person is in the boat with you and they're worried about not having bread. They're missing Jesus. Now we don't get the tone in reading this text, but I don't think that Jesus is frustrated or angry with them. I think Jesus is patient and gracious with them. He wants them to get it. Like the Pharisees, the disciples are missing who's right in front of them and what he's capable of doing. They're missing who Jesus is. But unlike the Pharisees, the disciples are open to understanding. They're seeking. And so Jesus perseveres with them. He challenges them, but he doesn't leave them. He says, do you not yet understand? All along the way, Jesus has wanted his disciples to realize that he is something more, that he is someone more than a healer, someone more than a teacher, someone more than a miracle worker. He is the king of the kingdom who has come to rescue and restore and redeem. All along the way, Jesus has wanted them to understand where everything is heading. In fact, he explicitly tells them this at the end of chapter 8. Flip over to verse 31. And it says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This will be the ultimate sign. This will be the ultimate sign that he is who he says he is and indeed has the authority to not only teach about the kingdom of God, but actually provide the only way for entrance into the kingdom of God as he dies for our sin and our rebellion and will rise again from the grave. But as we'll see in a few weeks, even then the disciples still don't quite get it. So he's warning them. He's warning them in light of what lies ahead his looming crucifixion on a Roman cross. He's warning them not to be drawn off, not to be drawn away about false ideas about him or false ideas about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Now, in these two interactions, we see examples of two categories of people who respond to Jesus in two different ways, mockers and seekers. And we see how Jesus responds to them as they are both missing Jesus. So what about you and me? Mark's writing this part of the gospel here, the gospel narrative, to advance the story, to advance the narrative. But he also wants us to learn something in this for our own lives. Like I said at the beginning, for all of us in this room, when it comes to Jesus, we are in one of these two categories, either mockers or seekers. What category would you place yourself in this morning? Even if you're already a Christian, you're still seeking Jesus. But no matter where we're at, in that place, being a mocker or seeker, the reality is we can all sometimes miss Jesus. 
So I think there's something for us to learn here, to consider here about these two interactions. And so I want to take the rest of our time just to think about how does this actually apply to our lives and our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Listen, if you're a mocker, let me implore you to consider that you might be wrong when it comes to the things of God. I find often that mockers, as I've engaged different people in my life, haven't actually taken the time to consider the claims of Christ and the Bible. If that's you, would you consider suspending your disbelief and take some time to actually see what Jesus says about himself and who Jesus is? Would you be willing to sit down with someone here that's a part of this church to do that with you? If you're a mocker, I don't think you're here by accident this morning. I think you're here by God's providence. Now, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, we have to understand that as we live and move and have our being in this world, that we're going to engage and encounter mockers. They still exist today in our world and our culture, both religious and irreligious. Some are famous, like Richard Dawkins. Others, though, are people that you're going to interact with at your workplace, in the classroom, or at your dinner table. People who, in ridiculing you for your faith in the real and risen Jesus are actually mocking Jesus himself. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. We see it here in this text and Peter tells us that this is going to happen to us. Second Peter 3.3 3 says that. But it's still challenging when we engage someone who's a mocker. So what do we do with that? Well, we can look at, to Jesus as an example. That Jesus was dismayed and sorrowful. We can be too. But he also didn't give in to arguing with them. He didn't give in to their request. He removed himself from the conversation. There's been times in my life as I've engaged someone who's, I kind of feel out, they seem to be more mocking, not really interested in Jesus, but are asking questions about God. And sometimes I've said, hey, if I answer that question for you, is that going to get you any closer to actually like investigating who Christ is? And oftentimes the answer is no, not really. It's just a wall. It's just a front. There's no real engagement, no real interest in those moments. And so we can move on from those conversations. Now, that might sound like we're giving up on someone. But it's a good and humbling reminder that we cannot make anyone see and we cannot make anyone believe. We have to trust God. So instead of arguing with a mocker, pray for him. Pray for her. God alone opens the eyes of a mocker. He's done it before. The Apostle Paul was a mocker of Christ and his people. And God opened up his eyes. Maybe some of you, if your own story, that you once were a mocker of Christ. But God opened up your eyes. He has done it before. And he can certainly do it again. Listen, true revival, true revival begins when those that seem impossible, that seem far away from the gospel or far away from God, begin to repent and believe. So let's plead for God to do that in our midst. Now, when it comes to seekers, we have to understand that seeking functions on a spectrum. We see this with the disciples. They're with Jesus. They're intrigued by Jesus. They're trying to understand Jesus, but they aren't all the way there yet, even missing Jesus. So look at this graphic on the screen here. We have this line. This is a spectrum of seeking. So on the left side over here, that may be somebody who's open. They're not, they're not a mocker, but they're also not actively engaged in seeking. There's other important things going on in their life. 
But as someone moves along that spectrum of seeking, getting closer to the cross, getting closer to their understanding of who Christ really is, maybe that may be somebody who's, who's reading the Bible or is attending Christianity Explored or is gathering with other Christians. For those of you who aren't yet a Christian, you know that's not where you're at right now. First off, let me just say I'm really glad that you're here. I hope that what you hear and experience as you gather with this group of people is that you see that what we care about the most, what we love the most is Christ. And we want that for you too. So we're grateful that you're here. Where would you place yourself along this spectrum of seeking? No matter where you are, in the midst of your searching and seeking, don't actually miss the real and risen Jesus There's a lot of spiritual talk out there today, but oftentimes it lacks substance. Just like the religious and irreligious ideas of the Pharisees and the Herodians, we can be caught up in the wrong places. Other ways that people say that you can have freedom or have peace or be made whole or have a relationship with God. But the best place you can go is to look to Christ to experience those things. And the best place you can see Christ is by looking in his word. So we want to encourage you to open up the Bible. And if you don't actually own a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. So come up and tell me afterwards. I will get you a Bible. You won't leave today without one in your hands. But open up the Bible. Ask another follower of Jesus that's sitting in this room to read it together with you. We have a class called Christianity Explored that's coming up again in the middle of April. If you are not yet a Christian, but you're on that journey, I just want to encourage you to to make plans to go to that. We'd love to talk with you and walk with you through what it means to know and follow Christ. Keep gathering with God's people. Keep listening. Keep learning. Press in further to the person and work of Jesus. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Jesus alone is the way for you to be reconciled to God. The way for you to be reconciled to others. He died in your place for your sin, for your rebellion, and he rose again from the grave, and he invites you to himself. He invites you to himself. Turn away from self, turn away from sin and trust in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. May God give you ears to hear and eyes to see. Now, for those of you that are already Christians, we can learn from Jesus on how to engage those that are seeking As I think about my own life and relationships, I realize that almost everyone I interact with who isn't yet a Christian, most of the time actually isn't a mocker. They're somewhere on this spectrum of seeking. Maybe they're on the far left side where they're not really actively engaged in it, but they're not antagonistic towards spiritual things or towards who God might be or who Jesus is. But all along the way, they're missing Jesus. When you think about your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members that aren't Christians, do you see them as seekers? Even though they may be far on that left side, do you see the possibility that they're even a little bit open to the idea of who God might be? But you know what? God is at work through his people. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and I've seen him do it again and again and again, even with those who at one point seemed far away. I remember a few years ago, there was a woman in our, started gathering with our church. She was invited by a friend. She wasn't a believer, but she was invited by a, a member of our church. And she started just participating in the life of our church. She was in going to community groups. She was attending our gathering on Sundays and, and began to open up the word with people and study it a little bit, even to the point of coming to our membership class. 
And she sat in the membership class, which we've, we've been to. We talk about the gospel in there again. We talk about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a part of the church. And I sat down with her in her member interview. And I remember talking with her because we asked, hey, share your story. How did you come to know Christ? And I just looked at her and I said, hey, I don't, I don't think you're actually a Christian. I don't think you actually know Jesus yet. And I gave her this analogy. I said, I think it's like we're at, we're at a swimming pool and you're there and you're, you're around it. You're, you're even getting splashed by the water. You see everybody in the water enjoying that and you're, you're, you're present there, but you haven't actually jumped in yet. You haven't actually jumped into the water yet. So I want to, I want to invite you to jump into the water. Why don't, you, why don't you go home? Why don't you think about that? Why don't you pray about that? About a week or so, a week or so later, she just texted me and said, I jumped in. I jumped in. She became a member, she got baptized, became a member of our church, continued to grow in what it means to know Jesus. Listen, proximity to Jesus is good, but it doesn't automatically equal saving faith. We have to see him for who he is and believe. We have to actually jump in. Seekers are seeking because of grace. So now we, if we're followers of, of Christ, we can go and seek the seekers. And like Steve told us last week, we can point them to Jesus. But let me encourage you to be patient and kind like we see Jesus being with the disciples. Let me encourage you like Jesus to ask questions. Keep telling that person about who Jesus is. Keep testifying to what Jesus has done. And like the disciples and maybe you in your own journey, remember that understanding is often progressive as we move along the spectrum. Remember in all of this, you aren't trying to win an argument. You're trying to see the person cross from death to life. In Romans chapter two, Paul says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And so I wanna encourage you and remind you, you didn't figure it out on your own. So now may your love for Christ and the love for the person that's standing right in front of you allow you to display the kindness and the grace and the mercy that you've received as you long for them to receive it too. But what about after someone comes to know Christ? If we look back at this picture here, we're on the right side. We actually come to know Christ. We're in one of these two categories, even as Christians. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Colossians 3.1 says, if then you've been raised with Christ, you're already a new creation in Christ. You've placed your faith in him. Then it says, seek the, thing that is, the things that are above where Christ is. Our seeking of Jesus doesn't stop at conversion. It just changes trajectory. Now we're moving. We want to keep moving towards Jesus as we seek him by grace to become more like him. But this is where we have to come back to the warning of verse 15. Watch out, beware, Jesus says. Maybe for us that's not because of the leaven of the Pharisees or the Herodians, but those two groups are an example of other ways to have peace and be with God, ways that aren't actually going to lead to that, that exist in our world today. False teaching and ideas can come in many different forms. Maybe it's performative Christianity. Like, I just have to look the part, act the part. It's all about externals for me to look like I'm actually following God. Maybe it's wrapped up in emotionalism or experience, experiences, spiritual experiences, but lacks the substance rooted in the gospel, the word of God, or completely on the other side, it's knowledge, but it's disconnected from our heart. 
could be things that the culture and the world offer us saying, find your hope and identity in your money or your wealth or your stuff or what's gonna actually save you and give you peace and freedom in this life is power and politics. Your identity's over here, your identity's over there. Care about your image. This is where value's found. The world is full of distractions. And all along the way, if we have these distractions, we have these off-ramps from seeking Christ. We start to turn away from him instead of fixing our eyes on him. We can not only miss Jesus, what he's calling us to, what it means to follow him, but we can lead us away from him altogether if we're not aware. How might that happen for you? You know, we can even have moments where we attest to the great things Jesus has done for us in our life. But what happens when the next hard thing comes your way? One pastor wrote this. He says, our initial impulse is to doubt and not trust, to panic and not praise, to throw up our hands instead of getting down on our knees. That's what we see the disciples doing here. It seems to be what they're doing. And I think that's one of the reasons why the author of Hebrews says what he does in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those that have gone before us and those that are around us right now, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. All of those things that are gonna pull you away from seeking Christ, where you're gonna miss Jesus, let, lay aside all of those things and instead let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen, Jesus is not an ingredient to be added into the recipe of your life. He's the center of it. He's the cornerstone. He's everything. So how do we as followers of Jesus not miss him, but keep seeking him? How do we look to him? How do we fix our eyes on him? Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. Like he's literally right in front of them. But we don't have that ability to do that. But we do have the Holy Spirit who God's given to us, who enables us to learn and to grow and understand he's our helper and our counselor. But I realize even in my own life, oftentimes if I'm struggling or there's challenges going on, I can try and muscle up on my own. Like, I got this. I can do this. Instead, and relying on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in my life, actually asking for his help. This Holy Spirit won't obey for me, but he will enable me to obey, enable me to follow Jesus. So part of seeking Jesus, not missing Jesus, comes by way of walking by the Spirit, asking for help to stay on the narrow path that leads to life in a world full of distractions that are calling me away. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So another aspect of seeking Jesus, of not missing Jesus, is drawing near to him through his living and active word, through prayer, Actually opening up and seeing what is Jesus calling me to? What does it mean to know him? What does it mean to follow him? Talking with him, asking for his guidance and help. And this has been so helpful for me throughout my journey with Jesus. I find myself, when I find myself veering the most away from Christ, not seeking him, I can almost guarantee it's at the times I'm not consistently in the word, reading it, praying it, communing with God encourage us, encourage all of us that we would draw near to God by opening up his word together, praying with one another, for one another. And lastly, another aspect of seeking Jesus, of not missing Jesus, is through the help of Jesus' people, through the church. When we gather here on a Sunday, week in and week out, this isn't just for you as an individual, it's for us as a community. That even if we're feeling down or struggling in faith or feel like we're veering away from Christ, there's a room full of people that are praising God 
that are full of faith right now, who are set focused on him, be encouraged by that. Be bolstered by one another's faith. Come on Sunday, not just so that you can get something out of it because the brother or sister next to you needs you to be here. Needs you to lift your voice in praise. Some weeks that's gonna be you that can't sing. Other weeks it's gonna be the person next to you. But we also scatter as the church throughout the week as we enjoy community with one another, maybe in a community group. It's in those places that we can testify to one another about who Christ is and how we see him at work in our lives. We're called to exhort one another, encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that our hearts may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need one another to remind each other again and again and again that Jesus really is better. It's in and through these means of grace that you and I together can keep seeking Jesus and not miss him. Friends, Jesus, the king of kings, the one who multiplied the fish and loaves, the one who walks on water, the one who has healed the sick and raised the dead, the one through whom all things were made and who holds all things together, the one who willingly went to the cross to die in your place for your sin and rose again from the grave and is seated on the throne of God. He invites you to himself. Invite you to himself. Don't miss him. Instead, together, let's seek him and help others to do the same. Amen. As a first response to the preaching of the word, we're going to take communion together. The Lord's Supper, it's a means of grace to help us seek and see Jesus. So if you don't yet have the elements, you can go grab those. They're in the back if you're on the bottom floor or along the railing if you're in the balcony.